Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, good to be with you again uh, on this Lord's Day. It's good to be back in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, if you read the email I sent out, uh, you will know that this is our second to last uh, second to last lesson in First Timothy, and so we have one more lesson, and then and then we're done. And so um, I have some an idea for the next series. I've uh, got to talk to the elders about that. I've discussed it briefly with them, but it looks like that um, might be what we're doing next. So um, uh, yeah, so we're getting into uh, we'll be getting into something else after First Timothy. I've really enjoyed our time together in this book. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of great discussion. I know that, um, I know that for myself, I've I've grown. I've learned a lot from your questions and from our discussions. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. But I do look forward to our next, uh, the next series. So, uh, so today we're going to be looking at First Timothy six eleven through uh, sixteen. Before we start, let's let's open up in prayer. If you would please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, you are full of goodness and truth. You're abounding in steadfast love. You dwell in unapproachable light. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for this day that you've given to your people to uh, cease from working, to rest our minds and our bodies, our hearts, uh, from the labors of the week, um, to focus our attention upon your glory and the glory of your Son. So we pray, Father, that you would bless us this morning in this class, that we would grow in our faith and knowledge of Christ, and that you would uh, uh, be ever working inside of us by your Spirit and your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. Okay, Paul says... Uh, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All right. Uh, Paul refers to Timothy as a man of God here, he says, but as for you, O man of God. Now this is likely a reference to his title, his title and his office as pastor, preacher, Uh, although each one of us, of course, are men and women of God by virtue of our adoption into God's family through faith in Christ, we are all men and women of God. We belong to him and Uh, He has adopted us. Uh, But Timothy has been called by God to preach and to teach the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God. This is something that not everybody is called to. Um, And so in this way, he is a man of God. The prophets of old, the the reason we can say this or uh, um, suggest that this is what Paul is talking about, that he's a, a pastor, an ordained pastor, preacher, The prophets of old, in the Old Testament, if you look, uh, they were called men of God or the man of God. Like you might, you can search it up and assert a Bible search engine, search man of God, and you will see that uh, there's several occasions where uh, the prophet who's spoken of is called the man of God. A man of God approached so-and-so and and, uh, proceeded to tell him the word of the Lord. 
Um, As a man of God, then, Paul commands Timothy to do several things here. He commands him to flee, to pursue, to fight, and to take hold of. Now, if you look at all of these commands, these are clearly commands that are not lacking in force, right? Um, Paul, they are not the kinds of actions that you would tell someone to do uh, if you wanted them to think lightly of the things you're calling them to do. If you are to flee or to pursue or to fight or to take hold of, you would have to employ all of your strength, all of your person, your heart, heart, soul, mind, and body. So that's the idea here. Now the focus here, these are strong words, uh, but the focus here is on the inner man of Timothy. Uh, Timothy was to flee from what? Free, flee from the love of money. Flee from unhealthy cravings for controversies. Flee from thinking that godliness is a means of gain. That's the, that's the, the things that Paul had just mentioned that Paul wants Timothy to run away from. Well, all of these things are are desires that begin and take place in in the heart, right? And so Paul is talking about the inner man of Timothy. Now, Timothy is not merely to attempt to ignore them. Just be wary of them, Timothy. They're out there. No, Paul says, flee from them. Pursue something else. Fight for something else. Flee from these things. Uh, Timothy is not merely to ignore them, but to run away from them as if his very life depended upon it, right? That's the idea behind fleeing. If someone is, has a weapon and is trying to kill you, you wouldn't casually walk away from them. You would probably flee from them, try to run as hard as you can to save your own life. Now, Paul is dealing with the inner person of Timothy, so, and he's, he's saying flee from these things. What do you think it looks like practically, to flee from something like this. You might think of, um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality. What does that look like? What do you think? To flee from the love of money, to flee from thinking godliness is a means of gains, to flee from sexual immorality. What do you think that means? Yes, Mike. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Uh, We're dealing with the issue of covetousness, right? Do not covet, the 10th commandment. Uh, So Mike brings out the point that in whatever way you can, uh, try not to covet other people's possessions. You have a neighbor who has more money, has uh, nicer things than you, be content to uh, strive by God's grace to be content with what you've been given and to be thankful that God has blessed them. As well. So, yeah, flee from covetousness. What else? What do you think this looks like? Fleeing in, in your spirit. Yeah, Don.
Good. Sure, that's a great point. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, Don. That's a great point. Um, one of the things that do, would help us get some understanding on what this looks like is to look at what it doesn't mean, right? And that's what you brought out. Fleeing from these things doesn't mean we physically remove ourselves from the world or try to physically remove ourselves from engaging with these temptations, right? We're not called to flee to a monastery, for example, like you said, right? Rather, uh, we engage, we recognize the temptation is there, but um, one of the things you said is we pray, right? You can pray for the help from the Lord to, to stay away from these temptations. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not an easy answer. It's kind of a, you know, I, 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 don't, have, uh, I don't have anything written down in terms of an answer here, but yeah, Scott. Good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, so uh, Elder D. Singh brings out the point that, you know, these, these big sins, right, sexual immorality, um, getting, you know, neck deep in the love of money, whatever it might be, they don't just happen overnight. They don't just happen all at once. There's, there's steps involved. And so usually, for example, sexual immorality starts with a little flirting, right, a little, maybe a little communication on social media, whatever it might be. Um, those are certainly things that Timothy, for example, could easily cut out, right, and not play around with, not even let his mind go there, right? So that is, uh, those are examples, that is a very good example of how you can flee these things. Like, maybe you see it coming in front of you, you see the desire bubbling up inside of you, you begin to think in that direction, that's where you got to draw the lines. Like, no, this, that's a dangerous path. I have to stop, right? Um, now, that, hey, that, this takes, obviously, God's grace. It takes the Lord's help, and it's, it's constant. It's a constant fleeing. So, um, yeah, it's very good. Okay, so flee from these things, Timothy. Um, not only is Timothy to run away from these threats, he's, he's also to redirect that energy towards a strong pursuit in a different direction. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now these are all characteristics of Christ. If you look at all of them, Christ exemplifies all of them perfectly. And so Timothy is therefore to flee from these sins, but also to run after, pursue 
Christ-likeness. That is essentially what he's calling him to do. He's saying to Timothy, see to it that love, gentleness, steadfastness, faith, righteousness are character traits that are impenetrably woven into the fabric of your daily existence, Timothy. That's what that means. Make this part of who you are all the time. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Make that the air you breathe, Timothy. That's what he's to be after. He's to walk by the Spirit, in other words. Timothy is also to fight. Now, we as Christians are involved in a painful struggle. We are involved in a war, a spiritual war, that involves hostile enemies. The devil, the flesh, the world. And so we shouldn't think as Christians, and especially you know, for Timothy as well, because he's called to lead the church, to preach the word, but this is for all of us, We shouldn't think as Christians that comfort and ease is the goal of the Christian life. It is a fight every day that we live, right? A fight against sin, a fight against unbelief, a fight um, against uh, laziness, indifference, all of these things. And so the pattern in our life is to be wake up, fight, wake up, fight, wake up, fight, fight, Timothy. It It is a battle. And that's, I think... That's something, too, that Timothy should be comfortable with, is that it's a struggle, and that we all, too, all of us should be comfortable with, is that there's not, uh, there's not a spiritual plateau that you reach and you're, um, you, know, you can kind of relax for a while. It, it just it doesn't exist. There is growth in the Christian life, but it's always, we're always engaged in a fight. So fight the good fight, Timothy. Uh, last thing here, and I'll stop for questions. Paul says... Uh, that this fight is a good fight. Um, if you think about earthly soldiers, they, f- they fight in earthly wars, um, but they're not always good fights, are they, right? Um, I read a book recently on, uh, about World War II and the trench warfare of World War II. And um, If you know anything about this, you'll know that in France, in the area of France, uh, there was this bloody trench warfare going on between the Germans and, um, and uh, the Allied powers, the French. And they would continuously send in hordes of young men into these battles. And they're just dying and dying and dying and you know, leaps and bounds. Um, and they're doing all of this to gain literally like feet in land, like they would gain several feet or, you know, maybe a mile, whatever, in, in territory. Then they'd be pushed back, and then they'd go back the other way. And it was almost like a stalemate for a long time. But all the while, young men are dying. Young French men, young German men are, are dying. Um, you know, is that a good fight, right? I mean, what's, what's the payoff in that? Um, it's, it's kind of sorrowful to think about. Uh, but the Christian fight, we are guaranteed a reward, a heavenly reward. We are guaranteed. It's a good fight, meaning Christ has secured our inheritance. You will not be wasting your time. Your Lord, your commander, your chief commander of the army will not, he, he values your life. He will not, you will not waste it by fighting for him. 
Um, so take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy. Fight the good fight. It's a good fight. Um, there's, there's something to look forward to in this fight. It's worth it. Uh, any questions on that or thoughts? What do you think? Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, Paul refers to Timothy's course as a calling. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now, Timothy obviously was called by God to be a pastor, but not everyone is called to be a pastor. But everyone, uh, based on scriptural teaching, and this is what the Reformers uh, taught and really tried to pound into the heads of their listeners is that every single one of us has a calling from God. Our vocations, our places of employment, the particular areas in which you work, whatever you do, that is in some sense a calling. In fact, vocation, the word comes from a Latin word, which means to call, to a voice, right? And so if you think about the direction of your life, uh, whoever you may be, pastor, elder, non-pastor, non-elder, whatever it is, right? Uh, engineer, salesman, entrepreneur, artist, what, whatever it may be. Where does that come from? What, what made you decide to do that? And where did, you, where did you get the gifts? Those things come from God. We don't necessarily decide, this is, this is what I like. It's given to you. Your interests, your desires, your gifts to, do those, to follow those desires is given to you. It's a calling from God. So whatever God has called you to, that is your calling. And so you are to fulfill that calling and be content with that calling, not try to go beyond that, uh, beyond that calling. And of course, you know, as, we say, as I say this, you know, callings change, right? Jobs change. You might become retired and all those things. Um, but whatever it is that you're involved in uh, and you're being faithful to God, you're being obedient, that is, that is your calling. We're all to be uh, faithful to that. He says, I charge you uh, in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So, uh, Paul says, I charge you, Timothy. Now, a charge here is uh, a solemn command given particularly to leaders or office holders, those who hold public office. Uh, this happens when elders are called, when pastors are called. They, they usually receive a charge from someone else, a charge from a minister, another elder, whatever it may be. And so this is a command, a solemn command given particularly to public office holders. And who is watching? Well, Paul says God and Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, we go back to what I just said before, each one of us has a calling. You may not be charged to be hold public office in the church or in some other capacity, uh, but you are given a calling, you are given a, a command by God to 
exercise and fulfill that calling. Who is watching? Well, it's God and Jesus Christ. Now, the mention of God's presence here, his eyesight seeing us, is given both as a warning and an encouragement. God is the one who gives life to all things. He is the one who gives life to us. He gives us the strength we need to carry out our callings. He is the one who can take it all away if he so desires. Timothy would be conducting his ministry in the presence of many men, women. He's in public office. They will be looking at him. They will be looking at how he does these things. But none of those people that he ministers to would have the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. That power belongs to God, right? And that is who we are to serve. That is who we are to keep in mind when we're thinking about fulfilling our calling. Um, And as we do this, Timothy, and as Timothy did this, we are are to rely upon the life-giving power of God and the life-giving power of the resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. That is who we rely upon. He gives life to all things. He gives life to you. He gives life to the elders in the church, the deacons in the church. That is where we get our energy. That is where we get our strength to do what Paul is telling us to do, to fulfill our callings, whatever they uh, may be. He is the one who gives us life. If, now to put this in perspective, you know, if, if we're looking for something else to help keep us going, right? Looking for ultimately, you know, a praise of man or uh, comfort and pleasures of this world. If we're looking to have that primarily be our source of comfort in life, it will be very difficult to finish, right? But if we're looking to God who gives life to all things, then we can uh, finish the race. Okay, one more thing and I'll stop again. Uh, Paul talks about the confession of which uh, 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 Timothy's confession um, earlier, and he also talks about Christ's confession here. Christ, who in his testimony before Pilate made the good confession. Now, what is this confession? Uh, Calvin thinks that the confession that Paul was talking about with Timothy was just simply his obedience, his visible obedience, right? Um, not necessarily something that he said with his mouth, though that was probably part of it, right? Um, you know, when someone is called to ministry, they, they take vows. If someone is called to be an elder or a deacon, they take public vows. They, um, if you get married, you take public vows, right? And so you have to confess with your mouth that you're going to do certain things. Um, uh, so that's certainly part of it, but I think that primarily what Paul has in view is... is Timothy's obedience, his visible obedience. And that's what's in view when he talks about Christ. In his testimony before Pontius Pilate, he made the good confession. Now, what was Christ's good confession? What was it? What did he say? Well, he didn't say much, did he? <laughs> Jesus didn't say, there wasn't a whole lot that he said. He did affirm that at one point uh, when uh, Pilate asks him about being the Christ and all of those things. He says, you, it, it is so. And he also said, you wouldn't have any power if it hadn't been given to you from above. But for the most part, Jesus was silent, was he not? His confession was his death. That's what sealed his 
authenticity, right? His death. And that's what Timothy was to do, to seal whatever words he says with his continued obedience. Keep going, Timothy, right? Hold fast to that confession. You've done a good job thus far. You've given the church visible evidence of your obedience. Continue on with that good uh, confession. Um, okay, so I, I guess I had a question here. How, how might we apply this to our own lives? If that's this idea of confession. What do you think? Confession being our, our obedience, our, what people see in us. What do you think? Or any other questions beside that? Do you have any thoughts or questions? Yes, Daniel. Sorry, I guess it's a question to that question. <laughs> like, are you saying that when you ask that question, like, how do we apply the confession uh, of the people see our confession, or like, could it be like a private thing? Um, yeah, good, que- good question about my question in the midst of all the questions. Um, I'll ask you a question now about your question about my question. <laughs> no. Um, so uh, um, the question was, how can we apply this to our lives, right? And so the idea is, let me clarify. Uh, if, if what I'm saying is true about these words, this section, if, if when Paul is saying, uh, you know, keep... Uh, you may, he, he says, take hold of the eternal life about which you made the good confession. And then he talks about Christ having a confession, right? If what I'm saying is true, that that confession is primarily obedience, right? Visible obedience on the part of a person, a Christian. How could we apply that to our lives, right? If that's true, what changes might, or what encouragement or instruction might we get from from that idea? What do you think? I actually do have a particular answer to this on my mind, but yeah. Do you want, well, I'll give Daniel a chance first. Does that make sense? Okay, okay, Scott. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we're getting at here. So Elder D. Singh brought up the point, you know, at work, if he, in a meeting, he's got other people there, um, you know, maybe they know he's a Christian, they know, maybe even he's an elder in the church, and he's not gracious, he's, uh, you know, bombastic, he's quick to get angry, whatever, you know, whatever you want to think about. Um, That's a bad confession, right? Also, our neighbors. If we have constant tension with our neighbors, if we make a big fuss about a fence or something trivial, that's something of a confession about our Christian identity, our Christian walk, right? We, we may not be saying it, but we are communicating something by our actions about what we believe is actually important, right? 
Are we as Christians willing to let the fence issue go because we have bigger things to worry about and maybe we need to just pay for it out of our pocket? Are we willing to just let that go? Or are we going to fight to the death to, to keep that $3,000 of our fence money, right? Now, I mean, that's just one hypothetical example. I'm not saying if you ever fought for your fence, you've, you've done something wrong, but sometimes we do need to fight, right? And, you know, we do need to try to not just throw away our money, but you, you get, the, you get the, the point, right? We, we make some sort of confession by the way we live. We make some sort of confession by, about what we truly believe about the gospel by the way in which we live out our daily lives, right? And so make that a good confession. You know, think of, let's, let's all think about this. You know, what do other people see in me and what might they think based on what they see in me about Christianity? Make sense? Scott. That's a good, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, and that happens, I mean, that's happened in my life quite a, quite a bit too. You know, you think about you're a Christian, you're working with other people who aren't Christians, they're comfortable, uh, you know, telling dirty jokes, saying really inappropriate things. You know, uh, do you just go along and kind of give the superficial laugh, the fake chuckle? I mean, what do you do, you know? Um, yeah, those are those are moments where you got to make a decision, right? Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's been. Yeah, that quote has been ascribed. Ascribed, is that the word? That, that quote has, has been uh, attributed. Ah, thank you. Yes, attributed. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. Uh, attributed to Francis of Assisi. Um, it's a good quote. Yeah, preach the Bible always and when necessary use words. He's ba- basically what he's getting at is you know, live, out, live out the Christian life, right? Now, of course, we do preach. Preaching is, we do need to preach. We don't want to... Uh, disparage preaching or put down preaching. Preaching is very important, but live it out, right? Live, do what you say you're going to do. Yes? If we're looking for a concrete example, we can look at the early church and write a thing when you're being hospitable to others. Uh, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, that's a big way to, uh, to share the gospel with your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Showing hospitality, that's a great example. Uh, Christians showing hospitality to, you know, others, you know, possibly in the church or maybe even outside the church at work or whatever it may be. Um, you know, we are, uh, we are in an age where, you know, privacy and, 
you know, having my time is so sacred, right? We're, we, we're kind of getting away from that communal aspect of having fellowship with others in the community and things like that. And so that would be a really powerful witness for Christians um, to open up their homes as God leads them. Yeah, good, good example. Yeah, Travis, did you have your hand up? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a great point. So Travis brings out the point that, you know, this isn't just about doing these things in public before others. This is about doing them in private, right? Because, like Paul says, who is our audience all the time, regardless of whether or not anyone's there? It's God and Jesus Christ, right? And so. That's part of pursuing righteousness, right? Having a, a desire, a delight in the things of God and, and resisting sin in private when no one's watching, right? And that, that spills over. Um, then that's a good thing. Um, obviously, it can go the other way, right? You can put on the mask for a while. And I, I mean, you, people get away with that for a long time, but eventually, if, if there's something behind there, it, it'll, it'll come out, right? You will know a tree by its fruit, is what J- Jesus said. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, all right, so uh, let's finish up here. Um, Jesus, or, uh, Paul mentions that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the highest authority, right? Timothy might be contending with Roman rulers uh, that would persecute the church. Timothy is to remember that God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He directs all things, and he's to trust in him. Uh, last thing he says that God alone has immortality and he dwells in unapproachable light um, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Uh, you might think of Psalm 104. This is talking about the essence of God, his glory. He covers himself with light as with a garment. Or you might think of um, the first chapter of this letter. God is the king of ages, immortal, or immortal invisible, the only God. He dwells in light that is unapproachable. In other words, there is an essence of God that no man has ever seen or will ever see. There is a glory that we will never penetrate. He has revealed himself to us in the world. He's revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we we know him truly. We know him through Christ. It's true knowledge of God. But we don't know him exhaustively. If we did... We would be God. Calvin talks about this idea of the essence of God as his naked majesty. There's, there's an essence, a glory of God that we will never penetrate because we are not God, right? It is this God that is caring for Timothy. It is this God that has called Timothy to do these things. It is this God who has called us to do everything that we have been called to do. And it's this God who helps us in this, 
in all of this. And so basically Paul is telling Timothy, he's telling us, in all of your struggles, Christian, in all of your struggles, let your mind go higher, right? Look to the God who dwells in unapproachable light, who has given you his son, who is with you, who has called you, right? Um, that is who we are to look for. And it only, it only seems appropriate that this section ends with um, a doxology, right? Timothy's life and ministry would end in doxology. Our lives, everything that we've been called to do will end in doxology. And this is how Paul ends. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So that's who, we're, who we are to look to. That's who we are to set our minds on is this God who is who's unapproachable. He dwells in eternal light. And he has given us his son. Any thoughts or questions, comments on that? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have uh, called us to yourself, that you have given us your Son and your Spirit, and that though you dwell in unapproachable light, though you are the eternal God, whom no one has seen or can see, and yet you have revealed yourself to us in the Gospel and your Son, and you have given us your Word. Father, help us to remain faithful to the calling that you've placed on each one of our lives that we might bring you glory. Father, prepare our hearts for worship now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.